0: Welcome back to The Remote Life. My name is Han Talbert, also known as Han Meets World, and today we'll be chatting with Kate McWilliams. Joining Lotus in 2007 as a founding member, Kate has since worked alongside the all female leadership team to grow the company into one of the UK's leading travel PR and marketing firms. In this episode, we talk about working in travel PR and marketing, the rising interest in digital nomad tourism, and advice for both creators and companies on how they can collaborate together successfully. So grab a coffee, a tea, or something stronger, and let's get started. Kate welcome to the remote life podcast how are you today? I'm pretty good
1: today the sun's shining in London which is great finally so yeah I'm feeling good.
0: Amazing stuff awesome awesome and obviously it's so nice to see you after so long so yeah why don't we just backtrack a little bit tell us about you and Lotus.
1: Yeah, well, where do I start? So, yeah, so my name is Kate. I am Managing Director of Lotus. We are a travel PR and marketing firm, and we represent a whole host of travel clients. Obviously, we met through one of our destination clients, which is Palmer and the Balearic Islands. We also represent the Spanish National Tourist Office. We do lots of Spanish-speaking clients. But aside from that, we work with tour operators, destinations across the whole world, transportation airlines hotels both kind of groups of hotels and individual boutique hotels so we also represent travel associations so associations such as the latin american travel association the expedition cruise network so a whole host of travel clients and i would say that what we do for every client is different depending on their brief so every day is is different But just to give you a couple of examples, it could be that we're working on a European tourism strategy for an emerging destination such as Sierra Leone, one of our clients. And that could be really focused on bringing new routes to market, so working with new tour operators to get them to sell that destination. It could be working with more of an established destination like Spain to try and help with their ambitions of extending the season, encouraging visitation outside of those kind of peak periods, showcasing some of the kind of more slow and sustainable ways of traveling around the country. It could be hosting journalists on a press trip or hosting a campaign, managing an event. So yeah, it's a very dynamic industry and there's lots of different, I guess, pillars under the whole kind of travel marketing umbrella. So yeah, every day is certainly very, very different.
0: It's funny to me, of course, I'm sitting there going like, oh my gosh, that's the dream, that's the dream, so much excitement. Like it must be so like diverse, a day must just be so, no day is the same vibes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's certainly a busy job and it has to be a job that people are passionate about because it doesn't necessarily finish um, at the end of the day. Obviously, when you're hasting people overseas, you're always on You might participate in lots of kind of conferences overseas, but the beauty is you're dealing with different cultures. You know, you're learning about different ways of life. You're constantly learning. And that's one of the things, even though I've been doing this now since 2007, I think the fact that every day I'm learning is why I've stayed in the industry. You know, I love the travel industry and I love working with lots of different cultures.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I had to ask you quickly that when you say you have to be passionate about it, like what does that mean to you? especially with the travel industry.
1: Yeah, I think it has to be really to work in our industry, particularly a kind of travel specialist company. I think it's really important to you spend a lot of time at work, right? So I think it's important to to like your job and I think all of us at lotus we We really kind of get involved with the whole kind of ecosystem of travel. I think in our leisure time as well, we like to, you know, read up about what's going on in the industry. We like to look at trends. Um, I think we're all people that have had the opportunity to travel or or are looking and seeking the opportunity to travel. And that doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, long haul or to exotic destinations. You know, we've taken on uh, lots of younger employees that come from different walks of life that might not have had the opportunity to travel much yet but they certainly have the appetite for it so I just think that if you're not passionate about it it's a you know it can be kind of busy hours lots of events it can be a tricky job managing lots of different stakeholders often you kind of act a little bit as an intermediary between your client which might be a government tourism board and maybe a journalist or an influencer or somebody from the trade so I think it's just something that I feel that's Um, If you're going to have a long and successful career, you need to have that little bit
0: of passion there as well. For sure, yeah, I completely agree. Like, on paper, it always sounds like so amazing. You've got amazing pictures. You get to go, like, to these amazing destinations and talk to amazing people. But there's definitely a certain, I would say, like, mindset or knack to it, right? Like, is there anything that you have uh, maybe picked up, like, that maybe people don't know, or, like, one sort of thing that helps you to sort of kind of keep things going or like you need when you're trying to like manage all these different bits and pieces?
1: I mean, I think we can all be absolutely bombarded by emails. I think sometimes it's good to kind of try and step back and look at the bigger picture. And when I'm working with a new destination, I've recently started working with West Africa Mm. and that's, that's a first for me. So I think taking a bit of time to really understand protocol, how they work in a meeting when it might be appropriate for me to kind of speak or whether or not it has to be, you know, order of rank. There's lots of things like that, that I think sometimes it's taking a step back to kind of really look at things from a kind of bigger, wider perspective. I think I also take the time to try and read up about the destinations that I'm representing, make sure I'm aware of kind of political uh, challenges or any kind of headline situations but you know at the same time we can't all be working 24 hours uh, and that's certainly not a culture that we you know that we would kind of endorse here at Lotus Mm -hmm. but I think the passion certainly does come through from quite an early age and I think Some people, you know, once they start working in the travel industry, they can never leave. And that's certainly been my case.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can definitely understand why. Speaking of uh, working with different media and things like that, do you have any advice for maybe first time kind of content creators or journalists um, who want to maybe pitch stories to you or destinations? Like what's your general advice? Like having talked a little bit about that.
1: I think that's a really good question because we do get kind of hundreds of emails from content creators, journalists, bloggers, um, the, the whole mix. And I think for us, I think it's really important to have a niche, obviously, that the travel market just generally is extremely saturated. So, you know, a lot of our clients might be focusing on topics like walking or slow travel or art and culture. So I think if we know that somebody's got a niche, even if they're a smaller kind of micro content creator, I think it would be more likely that we might approach them for a certain campaign or project. I think it's worth taking the time if you're in that city where that agency is based. I think it is worth taking the time to attend their events, do drop them an email and say, I'd love to be included in your invite lists for things because I think it's okay to ask. You know, we do lots of events as PR agencies, and I, I certainly, if it's appropriate, we, you know, the more the merrier, as long as it's suitable. I think it's really important for content creators to be clear and transparent about their kind of their numbers. And I think it, it doesn't necessarily matter if they're starting out and they're tiny numbers because we are kind of looking for different levels for different campaigns and different events. But I think sometimes we'll get an approach from somebody and it takes time for us to have to go back to everyone to say, do you have a media pack or can you give us a bit more background? And I think really, if it's not all in in one email, it can be a bit frustrating. I would say also, I think there's some great awards for content creators and media i think it's great to kind of get your name out there by entering in into awards and kind of obviously sharing on social media if you've been shortlisted i think lots of pr agencies particularly if they specialize in a certain topic like we do you know it might be that they go to awards lists or winner winner's lists to try and identify people to work with so i guess those would be my my three tips um number one have a niche number two approach the agencies and do share as much information as you can. Ask them perhaps if they have time to have a quick coffee or a quick kind of Zoom call. Mm. They can only say no (laughs) kindly, but, you know, there's no harm in asking. And then you can kind of perhaps understand a little bit more about the client base. And then three, I would say, do put yourself forward for awards. And the only other thing that I would mention is through some of our clients, you know, in travel PR, some of Some of our, we manage kind of newsrooms for some of our clients. And there is an opportunity for us to showcase content on our newsrooms. So one example would be the newsroom for the Spanish tourist office. And we do showcase kind of blogs and media articles on that website. So again, if somebody emails us and says, would you like to share our content? That's something that we can certainly do as long as it fits within the objectives of what we're we're trying to achieve for for that destination.
0: That's some really great advice. I think, I definitely think that sometimes some people, because I know I've had people asking before, like, oh my gosh, how do I start like working with companies or like, how do I start like putting my blog out there? And it's kind of one of those things that people almost don't realize how simple it actually is. And on the end of an, a load of like PR kind of agency websites and phones, is a person <laughs> just like you. Who is more than happy to chat, like you said, and I was going to say, like, yeah, love, love a good coffee, love a good coffee chat, like just to yeah. And I love meeting people at
1: events. You know, I think mm. we get, you know, I'm sure it's, it's the world now, isn't it? But we do get hundreds of emails because we manage press rooms for, you know, mm. multiple clients. So we do get lots and lots of emails, and I do. I do like meeting people face to face and having a chat, learning a bit more about them. So we certainly make an effort in our company to go along to travel blog or events, or we also host our own events. Um, And I think it is nice. I mean, it might not necessarily lead to anything, but it might just kind of, you know, open up a conversation or, -hmm. and sometimes, you know, you can kind of met, you could have met somebody a few years ago and then you remember them, your client might say, okay, you know, I want to do something around, I don't know, let's say drinks. And you say, "Oh, I've actually met somebody who, you know, who writes specifically about drinks. Let me connect to you." So you never know where these conversations will lead. So i I love the I love the face to face contact, and I would say, do get out to events and meet with PRs if you can.
0: Do you have any? Dare we set ask like top favorite travel events or anything? Do we dare go there?
1: (laughs) Well, we have a lot of pressure around world travel markets. And what that means is obviously there's lots of competition, there's a lots of events happening every night, but it does mean that all of our team are out and about networking throughout that entire week. So that is a good opportunity to come, come along to a lot of the events that we're organizing. So I would say it is a challenging event for us because we, we typically have you know maybe 20, 30 clients exhibiting at the show all with their own Uh, requirements and needs, but I would say in terms of the kind of fringe events, stuff that's going on outside, it's a really good time of year to kind of be in London and make sure that you're kind of going along to those events. Aside from that, not really. I mean, I tend to go to things like ITB and Futur, the big travel trade shows, and whilst I'm there you know, I always like to kind of maximize my t- my time and try and meet with content creators as, as well as the kind of client meetings that I'm having. So I would say if, you know, if there is somebody that's going to those shows, don't forget that UK-based agencies also are attending those shows and they do want to maximize the relationships and the time when they're there. So I would say certainly contact us about meeting up around those times.
0: Amazing. I was going to ask, do you have any... Favourite pitches. I don't necessarily have to name names, but like is there anything that sort of stood out to you that you've gone, that's a good pitch? I would like I would love to see more of this.
1: Yeah, I think what's really great is when people really take the time to kind of understand the strategies that our clients are working to. So for example, I go back to Spain because it's a big client for us. I get a lot of approaches constantly about, you know, collaborating with Spain, and I'd like to go to the Canaries or whatever. And really, the ones that we would pay attention to are the ones um, that have taken the time to look at the strategies that we're working with. So, for example, last year, we had a slow travel Spain campaign. We'd have people approaching us, telling us that they were going to be traveling by train around Spain and they're going to be there anyway. And they're going to be looking at kind of minimizing their environmental footprint. Is there some kind of collaboration? And that, you know, those kind of things are more interesting to us because they're in line with strategies that we're delivering. So I think it's really key to and often you can find out the strategies, it's not complex, it's not complicated. Sometimes it's just a case of looking at the agency's social media or looking at that destination's social media to see what they're focusing on. So yeah, so we really like to get kind of approaches from people that have taken the time to understand our client's portfolio, but also perhaps taking a little bit of a deeper dive to try and understand what we are trying to achieve, achieve for that client.
0: Yeah, I'm just sat here kind of nodding, going, yeah, yeah, like take a look at the work. Like, social, social media is like, it's funny. It's so underrated. Like, still, I know that we all use it, but people forget how much information you can find for your pitch within like a couple clicks. So I was just like, kind of like almost nodding my head off when you were saying all that. Cause I, I just, yeah, I agree. It's literally, it's right there. It's right there, already for you to create your pitch. Amazing. Is there anything that people maybe don't know about pitching or like kind of, I know we've just talked about a few examples, but...
1: I think one thing that's important to mention is not every client has budget for media trips. Mm. And sometimes, you know, our brief might be purely around issues management or, you know, building a strategy for a destination. And we simply do not have budget to do media trips or influencer trips. I think sometimes... Perhaps there can be a misunderstanding, certainly from media, that, you know, they think the sole purpose of our job is to kind of generate coverage. And that isn't necessarily the case. Sometimes it might be more focused on getting a, a new tour operator to kind of sell holidays to that destination or really working closely with an airline to help kind of uplift. And Sometimes simply there is no budget. I think sometimes there can be a bit of a misconception that media trips are free. Well, they're not. They still need paying for, they still need a budget to be assigned for the flights, for the accommodation, and for the transportation in the destination. So I think before spending a long time carving out a really detailed pitch, by all means, uh, I, I would welcome an email saying, does X client have any budget for media trips or press trips or influencer trips or whatever it may be? Because then if we say yes or no, it might save that person a lot of time and effort coming up with something if simply there isn't the budget there. And then I think on the same the same point, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with saying to a kind of travel PR agency, which of your clients are more kind of proactive at working with content creators or, or media? And then if they've got the list of which ones are a little bit more open to these kind of opportunities, then they can carve the pitch accordingly.
0: It's so funny because, and again, I'm sitting here going, so simple. Yet, I feel like a lot of us wouldn't then think I can be upfront, I can be direct, I can be proactive in that respect. And it's so refreshing to hear that actually proactivity is what we want. Like we want to know what you're like, what you're after. I suppose. Can I can I ask if you if someone if a, a destination or company doesn't have budget? What would you say is reasonable? Say, for example, in return for a stay or flights or that, obviously, you talked about budget going towards transportation, towards accommodation. Do you have any kind of like uh, deliverables? And by deliverables, I mean for people listening, um, you know, content in return, say. Do you have any sort of like bars that you have that we go, okay, yeah, in return for, say, this, we'd still expect this.
1: Yeah, we do have them for some clients. So for some clients, for example, we would have um, a package of what we would typically offer a content creator, whether that be a journalist or you know influencer, whatever. And what we would expect in return for X. So for some of them, we we do have it. It would be you know we can offer two nights and train transportation, and in return we expect X Y Z. I think when we're working on campaigns for a lot of travel clients it can be tricky because a lot of travel clients would see a content creator trip in the same way that they would see a press trip, i.e. an editorial review and no money exchange. I think when it's when it crosses over the line to be a campaign and we're specifically stipulating deliverables that's when the kind of starts being kind of payment so that's the two ways that we look at it. Is it an editorial review based on a stay? And if so, we have to look at the integrity of that review, et cetera, because of, often, you know, if you're giving a free stay, then there can, there can be question marks over the integrity. I know obviously nowadays people have to be more honest about whether or not that's sponsored or, you know, or, or given as a, as, a gift, as a press gift. But I think if, for example, we're sending somebody to, let's say, Guyana. And we're saying, okay, off the back of this trip, we're expecting, you know, five reels, 10 posts, 10 images, one blog, a video, then that's, you know, that's a marketing package really. And that's how we look at it as a company. So I think for clients, we do have that, but it's very hard for me to say, okay, okay, X equals Y money-wise, because it really, really varies from client to client, whether it's domestic, whether it's long haul, the flight cost of getting there, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things are considered.
0: Yeah. Sorry. I didn't want to feel like I was putting you on the spot, <laughs> but I know that it is something that comes up for people quite a lot. It's kind of like just figuring out what is like the right kind of deliverables or like what's the reasonable agreement. And also for companies there as well, who are just learning, like I would say there are a few companies that are emerging in like the digital nomad space now that are of course learning like what's reasonable to ask from different creators as well. So I think that's it's it all really great learnings for both sides, to be honest. So just going over to different niches, we talked we've talked a little bit about niches, we've talked a little bit about sort of uh, different client demands already and like what they're looking for. I've noticed there's definitely a lot more kind of increase in demand for remote lifestyle and digital nomad creators, I would personally say. Uh, From my own experience, like, have you seen a bit more from your clients at all?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say that certainly kind of straight after the pandemic, we were seeing a lot of our clients respond quite quickly to kind of the changing kind of styles of work, uh, remote work. A lot of our clients, our hotel clients were offering kind of longer stay packages, you know, calling them kind of workations and some of those were targeted Uh, to the kind of global traveler or the the digital nomad. I think as a result of things like Brexit as well, we've also seen a number of our clients establish digital nomad visas to enable young people, not even necessarily young people, but to enable kind of talent and creativity to continue to kind of come into the destinations. And and I think the, the rules for those can be a little bit more stringent. But it is a way of obviously being able to kind of go and work in a country for one year or up to three years in some cases. So we've definitely seen our clients responding and changing. I think even since COVID, there's been huge changes. I think a lot of our clients were kind of, they kind of had this policy of work from anywhere. And I think we're now seeing actually a return, a little bit of a great return back to the office a couple of days a week. And um, so we've definitely seen that. I think we work with brands like we work with countries, but we also work with brands like Generator mm-hmm. that you might be f- familiar with. Obviously, Generator is uh, they offer the kind of hybrids accommodation. They were originally kind of a hostel brand and um, very kind of design focused. And then they were very pioneering when it came to kind of private rooms and suites and community spaces. And you know, they are having they're going through a kind of huge expansion. They've had an absolutely kind of fantastic year in terms of numbers. And I think the key thing really is, is it's about community, isn't it? You know, there's there's changing patterns, some people have to return to work, there's a little bit more flexibility. Some people might be able to take a, a workation, but they not might not be able to be kind of a full digital nomad. But I do see our destination brands and our hotel brands really really responding to that and i think the key thing with all of them is kind of community so co-working spaces community hubs in the kind of hotels perhaps for the highest spend kind of worker you know stations for them to work events that they can get involved with in the evenings i mean we've seen it i can't even tell you but it's been it's been huge
0: that's really awesome and you mentioned also like a pleasure as well. Do you have any sort of like thoughts or predictions on like travel trends that are coming up at all?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think certainly we talk a little bit about the kind of global market. You know, you look at somewhere like the US where, you know, typically they don't get much holiday leave. but But, you know, even in the US, there has been a bit of a move towards flexible working. So I think there's a huge potential for kind of the pleasure market. Obviously, the business market really, really took a bit of a nosedive during COVID. Obviously, you know, we're all kind of so used to doing kind of video conferencing, etc. now. But I think what what has certainly grown is the, you know, tagging on days and, and making sure that you maximize your holiday is particularly for people that don't get much holiday or annual leave. So I think that certainly has an impact for pleasure, uh the pleasure market. And the great thing is, you know, I, I again go back to the the US model. In the summer, you know, the budgets that coming out of the US market for essentially, perhaps it might be a week's holiday, two weeks holiday, plus a couple of weeks working remotely. The budgets are huge. So I think sometimes with kind of remote work, we can kind of be focusing on the lower end of the market, but actually we're also seeing huge shifts and trends in the kind of higher end of the market as well. So hotels offering, you know, quite expensive hotels offering offering packages for Uh, Longer stays and for the pleasure market. And also, we're seeing companies incentivize their staff by offering packages like that. So, I think there's a lot of potential there as well for, you know, we call it in the industry mice, so meetings, incentive, conference, and events. And I think certainly the kind of incentive um, piece, which is obviously trying to keep your employees motivated and trying to give them a little bit more flexibility. I think the pleasure, the combining a work trip with a leisure trip, I think really comes into that. Yeah, I think. Obviously, a huge thing is the growth in some new outbound markets, and um, certainly destinations like India that have, uh, well, one, it's the most populous country in the world, and two, they have a huge growing middle class. So I think certainly, you know, I think up until now, there's been lots of focus on China, and I still think that we will see kind of a lot of growth in, in, in Chinese outbound visitors. But I think... India is certainly one to watch. So I think that's quite exciting. I think the other key trend, um, one thing that we're finding at Lotus, um, obviously there's some quite ambitious net zero goals by 2050. And I think what we will see with travel brands is I think its climate is moving to kind of more operational elements. I think there's going to be a lot more disclosure um, when it comes to CO2 measurement. And I think there's also going to be so, so when I say CO2 measurements, obviously of CO2 emissions, we're already starting to see some disclosure. Um, and I think there's also going to be more choice uh, for consumers in making more sustainable choices. So we have clients at Lotus, aviation clients like like Welling, the Spanish um, low-cost carrier, that are already enabling their customers if they want to, to kind of purchase SAF, sustainable airline fuel, as part of their flight. And then they will match the SAF On the route. So, I think moving forward, we're only going to see more of schemes like that, measurement and disclosure with CO2 to get to the 2050 um, net zero
0: goals. I know that's going to be music to a lot of ears right now. Um, And I think that that's a very exciting trend, especially for a lot of obviously digital nomads and remote workers who are obviously trying to balance out their CO2 uh, footprint, the carbon footprint as well. So, that's exciting. I, was, I suppose I was going to ask quickly. That like, is there any way that you would, any way that people can kind of look that up, or any way that people can sort of research that, or find out, keep companies accountable?
1: I mean, I know, I certainly know that's a very good question, and I don't, I don't know exactly, but I do certainly know that there's some destinations like Valencia was one of the first destinations to really be able to measure its CO2 that came from tourism. So I think if anybody wants to kind of Google that as a case study to look at how Valencia went about managing, sorry, disclosing and measuring the CO2 that was generated by tourism, that would be a good place to start. But, you know, fingers crossed moving forward, there's there's more tools um, and more aids that we can all use to know exactly how much CO2 we are kind of generating when we
0: travel. That is very exciting. Oh, I'm intrigued to see how that works out for people.
1: Watch this space.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's really exciting stuff to be thinking about as well. I'm I'm excited for the travel industry and where it's going to go next. I think it's a very exciting time for like innovation and for new ideas to come to the market. Like, I feel like there's just been a bit of a little shift around like how people are approaching their sort of packaging and their marketing now for the companies that are like having this sort of slight shift, like you mentioned, Generator, for example. Do you have any advice for them about working with content creators in media?
1: Yeah, I think it's about kind of, I think a lot of these properties, particularly the Generator properties, but, you know, this could also be lots of other brands are similar, is because it's about community. I say what Generator does really well is they have kind of their on-site events and that brings in not just the kind of visitors, but also the local community, And I think some of the brands that have done particularly well are those kind of brands like Generator, which really enable you to kind of experience a sense of place with the locals and not just visitors. And I think personally, in my opinion, I also think that that's kind of really important. We know that, you know, certain places which could be popular with digital nomads are oversaturated, Airbnbs, etc., kind of pushing prices up in lots of locations. It's something that I think digital nomads need to be kind of super, super mindful of. So I think certainly for our kind of hotel brands or hospitality brands that are looking to attract, you know, creative communities, I think it's it's very much thinking what would work with the locals and also what would work with the visitors and also what helps kind of generate a more long-term benefit, both for the business but also for the destination.
0: I'm so happy you mentioned about like kind of being more mindful about destinations. That, that's such a like topic that I know is so um very close to a lot of people's hearts, like when you're a digital nomad or a long stay visitor. So I was gonna just my last like kind of serious question before I have a couple fun ones for you. Like which destinations are, let's say like top one to three, like destinations, are you seeing that's kind of a bit more emerging or like kind of looking it could be maybe a really great place for say digital nomads, workationers, remote lifers to be thinking about.
1: Well, I'm working with some very, very emerging destinations, but I'm, I'm not sure if they're quite ready in terms of, you know, co-working spaces and I guess, you know, good strong Wi-Fi, et cetera, to be able to uh, really kind of capitalise on that trend, yes. Um, I mean, I think for me, the key thing is we love to see people kind of go off the beaten track and I know it's a massive cliche, but, you know, I think there isn't... You have to think about the kind of benefits of the digital nomad community. And, you know, if you look at the kind of top cities in Spain, do they really need digital nomads in the summer months when it's busy, prices are high? I think it's about kind of perhaps just kind of perhaps thinking, where can I get to on the train network, you know, that's got good infrastructure, great culture, you know, a lot of rentals or hospitality brands that are targeting that that space. I know it's a bit of a cop out. Yeah, I think for me, it's just about perhaps getting out of those main cities and trying to explore somewhere new. And I think in terms of for those people looking to create content or, you know, or perhaps pitch to editors or, you know, try their hand at travel writing it's obviously the lesser known places that are more likely to kind of generate more interest from editors because you know not everyone is writing about them
0: that honestly it was a way better answer like I absolutely love that it's because it's never about like how far can I go like to the most exotic destination necessarily it's about like how can I you know make the most of like this flexibility and freedom that I have from remote working or workationing or whatever it is. So I don't think you could have answered that any better, to be honest. Like, that was such a great answer. <laughs> so, okay. All the serious stuff is done. I want to know, like going back to, I'm, I've got this thing about threes apparently, but like, what's your top three things that you need to have in your bag as a marketing and PR person?
1: Oh, I hate to say it, but it's got to be my phone. I know that's <laughs> so boring. I hate to say it, but I would... I think, you know, working, working in marketing and PR, it really is... I really need my phone, which is really depressing, really, isn't it? Um, I would say good earplugs. Uh-huh. I always use the silicon ones. Take them. You just never know. You never know where you're going to end up sleeping sometimes. <laughs> so good earplugs, my phone, and... I would say maybe a Kindle
0: Ooh. or
1: something that enables you to read.
0: What are you reading at the moment? Can we, can we know?
1: I'm actually reading 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. I would highly recommend it. It's it's scary, but it's a great book.
0: I'm intrigued. Okay, everybody, we need to go read that. Noted. Love it. And then last one question. Uh, where are you heading next?
1: So I've got a couple of trips lined up. And I'm back to spain next week down to malaga which is a wonderful city actually there's been a lot of media coverage about malaga recently it's becoming it used to be a little bit like forgotten and it used to be kind of gateway didn't it to the costel Sol? but now it's kind of like you know owning its own space which is which is really good and then after that There is a work trip coming up to Sierra Leone in West Africa, which is very exciting. I took a trip a couple of months ago, which was, like I said, my first trip to West Africa, which I really enjoyed, really, really eye-opening and wonderful to represent a completely new destination for, for the agency. And then after that, let's see. Who knows?
0: Who knows? Oh, we'll see where you end up on the road. Last question. Fill in the blank. Home is where?
1: Home is where my friends, my community are. I would say it probably is a mix of Cornwall, where I'm from, London, where I live, and Spain, where I travel most often too.
0: Amazing. Kate, thank you so much. This has been amazing to chat. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Remote Life. And thank you, Kate, for taking the time to speak with us. You can find links to Kate's profiles below. Thank you so much again for listening, and we can't wait to remote work with you again soon.